let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from eternal perdition. Thank you, Lord, because at this season we commemorate the death and the resurrection of your Son, who came and gave us the privilege of eternal life. May we never misuse this grace and opportunity you have given to us. May we embrace this privilege so that whenever we bow our heads in death, we shall have a place with you in eternity. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Please be seated. Let me gladly welcome all of you again to the presence of God as we continue to rejoice in the joy of Easter that Christ has given us. Let me also welcome the vicar very specially and his family. I'm so glad to see them in our midst today. God bless you. I will rejoice with you always for the blessings of God upon your life and family. Today, I'll be speaking to you on the theme, Repent, Therefore. Repent, Therefore. And that reminds me of the story that my father told me many years back. He told me of a vicar who was posted to a church. In his, on his first Sunday of his arrival, he preached on the theme, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second Sunday also, he preached on the same, on the same theme, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The third Sunday also, he preached on the same theme, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth Sunday. And so the parish council members, after the sixth Sunday, summoned the vicar. And they said, why is it that you've been preaching, since you came, you've been preaching on your single theme? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said to them, oh, really? I have just preached six weeks. On that, on that theme. But let me ask you, have you all repented? You have not all repented. And so I will not change the theme until all of you repent. That sounds so funny. But then, there are lessons, at least two lessons that I learned from that. Number one, is that repentance is a must for all of us to know God, and to walk with him. That is the starting point for everyone. And number two also is that every sermon must focus on salvation, either at the beginning, middle, or at the end, because that is the essence for which Christ died for us. The first sermon of Apostle Peter in the temple, after the Pentecost experience, he responded to the amazement of the people when they saw what happened to the layman who used to sit at the entrance of the beautiful gate 
And while Peter and John were going in the hour of prayer, they saw this man. Don't forget that in Acts chapter 2, the power had come upon them. And the power was not just for them to keep it, but to manifest and to do what God has sent them to do. And so they saw a lame man at the, at the entrance of the temple. And through the Holy Ghost, Peter said, rise and walk. And so all the people were amazed. And they were like, wow, what is this? And so Peter used that opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ, whom they crucified. And when you look at the passage of today, that is Acts of Apostles, chapter 3, you will see what how Peter responded in that place. Let's go there, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, and uh, I will read from verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, and when he was determined to let him go, but he denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the prince of life, whom God has raised from the dead. Wherefore, we are witnesses. And now in verse 19, he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And ye shall send Jesus Christ, which before you was preached unto you. So he used this opportunity to explain to them about the Christ they crucified, who has been the source of their power to raise that man who was at the beautiful gate. But then today, I am not Peter, and you are not also the people of Israel as it were. I am Joshua, and you are people of Lakewood. Then I need to ask you, what are you supposed to repent of or repent from? As Peter said to those people, repent, repent that your sins may be blotted out, and that the time of refreshing may come from the Lord. Though he also made them to realize that they did this in the time of ignorance. We also commit sin in the time of ignorance. We also go against the will of God in the time of ignorance. But then a passage says that the time of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he has commanded every one of us anywhere we are that we must pay attention to what he has commanded us in the scriptures. Dear people of God, there can be no other better time to challenge ourselves to truly repent and turn to the Lord. We need to double check if our attitudes are in conformity with the biblical standard at all times. We need to make conscious efforts to completely denounce what God hates and embrace what he loves. We need to be sure that we are reconciled with him 
we need to appreciate the work of salvation which Christ perfected through his blood of which we commemorate in a time like this. Then I still want to be very specific. Repent from what? What are we expected to turn away from? One, unbelief. Unbelief. If you look at the readings of today, when you look at the college for today, it talks about faith in God. If you look at the epistle also, talks about faith in God. Now let me read part of that place to you in the college. It says, Grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. So we must repent from unbelief. Many of us are following Jesus, but we still don't believe in the totality of his teachings, like Thomas. Thomas never believed that Jesus Christ resurrected. He said, oh, I need to see him, and I need to see the marks before I will believe that truly he resurrected. All the readings of today, like I said, including the colored talks about faith in Jesus. So we must repent from every form of faithlessness, believe in the supremacy of the Holy Scriptures and Jesus' teachings. Let me highlight a few of his teachings. Number one, teaching of Jesus about loving God and your neighbors. Let's, read, let's look at the passage read today, and that is the portion for the epistle, and that is 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I may be tempted to use a part of the system we use in Nigeria today, so I will appeal, can somebody stand up and help me read 1 John chapter 5. That is the portion for the epistle today. If you have it there, please, you may sit down, just read it. I want, to, I want somebody to read it, if you have it there. Somebody can help me to read. Nobody? Yes, read. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So you have seen in that place that when you love God, you love, you also embrace his commandments as it were. What, do, what does Jesus Christ also teach about forgiveness? The teaching of Jesus about forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered. I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now, do we also embrace Jesus' teaching about forgiveness? When your brother, your sister, 
your neighbor or your co-worker or people around you offend you? How do you react? Do you hold grudges? If you do, you must repent from that. Let's see what is written also in Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have, have ought against any, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So we see why at times it appears that God is far away from us. Because part of what he wants us to do, we are still struggling. We cannot get there. And so Peter said, repent. So in this passage, Jesus Christ says, if you want me to forgive you your sins, forgive other people their sins. So I do not know also, if you fall into that category today, you must repent. Let's also move forward about Jesus' teaching concerning immorality. What does he teach about immorality? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, you have heard as it was said, ye must, ye must not be guilty of adultery. But I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman and wants to sin sexually with her, in his mind, he has already done that sin with the woman. If your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So you can see this new teaching that Jesus taught about immorality. That you don't even have to go you know, to bed with somebody who is not your wife or somebody who you are not connected to before you can go into immorality. You must wash it. You must be careful of what you do on a daily basis. What does Jesus Christ teach about giving in Mark? Sorry, in Matthew. What does it teach? In Matthew chapter 7, when you look at it from verse 1, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the street, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees it, what is done in secret, will also reward you. Now let's look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good man, your press down, shaking together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will also be measure unto you. That is the teaching of Jesus about giving. Do you also do this? Do you also practice it? Do I also do this? Do I also practice this? So we must repent. Now I go further. I'm just still talking about unbelief. Unbelief in the totality of Jesus' teaching. 
That is what I'm talking about. What are the things that we must repent from? Number two is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. When Jesus came, he was very busy with his father's business. In fact, when you go to John chapter 9 from verse 4, he says, I must do the work of him that sent me while it is day. For the night comment when no man can walk. Despite this busy schedule, he never joked with prayer. In fact, he started with prayer and he ended with prayer. And I need to challenge you also today. How is your prayer life? I'm not talking about the prayer we pray in the church. I'm talking about the one you do at home. Those who have family, do you call your family together? Either in the morning or in the evening. Do you pray with them? If you do not, then you need to repent. It's part of what, uh, what Peter is saying, or what Joshua is saying today. Now, you must also repent from worldliness. I need to tell you that our generation has suddenly entered into the tragedy of loving the world more than God. I don't know how we got here. It cut across every nation of the world. When I was growing, when I was much younger, I could see that people love God with their heart, but gradually the trend was just shifting, and everything has shifted to the entire world, loving the world more than God. And when you look at what is written in Second John, or First John rather, First John chapter two, when you read from verse 15 following, First John chapter two from verse 15, it says, "Do not love the world." Or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whosoever does the will of God lives forever. So all those things that catch our attention, things that we pay close attention to than God, they will fade away. In fact, the old world itself is going to fade away. And so our attention must be completely drawn to the Lord, whom we are going to be with forever and ever. And we have seen very clearly that this has become the trend, even that Christians can no longer resist. You cannot do things as children of the world do. You cannot do things as children of the world do. You have been bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus. You cannot just live your life anyhow because you have been bought with a price. You are a new creature. You are not just old-fashioned. You are a new creature. There is a, transform, a kind of transformation that has taken place in your life. And more importantly, here is not our permanent abode. If anyone is in doubt, let's go together to Hebrews. When you go to Hebrews chapter 11, that is one of the passages that I love so much. In Hebrews chapter 11, when you begin to look at it from verse 13, look at what it says. All these people, you know that passage talk about the people of faith, Abraham, all those great, great people in the Bible. That is what that passage talks about. Now, look at it from verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them 
and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Pay attention to verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Read that place when you get home again. That Hebrews, read it, chapter 11. Read it from the beginning. All those great people in the Bible were mentioned in that place. And look at the way he summed it that they desire a better country. They know that everything that will have taken their attention here will be just for temporary and it's going to vanish and it's going to be, you know, vanish completely. And so they pay attention to God himself and God was not ashamed to be called their God. Where do you pay your attention today? Who do you pay attention to? To the world that will fade away or to Christ whom you are going to be with forever? What then are we to do? What are we to do? I remember that in the first, very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, people now had, when Peter preached, they asked a question, and that is where we are now, and that's, I'm at the point of rounding up now. When the people, I'm reading from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 38 and 37 and 38. When the people heard this, they were caught to the heart, and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The part that I'm bringing out is when they heard the gospel, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? And so what is Christ asking us to do today? He's asking us, to check, double check, to do a thorough examination of our lives, which only you can do, which only me can do. Nobody can do for you. Nobody can do for me. Are there things that you need to repent completely of? Are there things that you need to change? Are there things that need to be changed in your life? Then you have to call upon God and say, God, I don't want to reason like this. God, I don't want this thing to occupy me. I know that nobody knows about it, but yet I don't want this thing to occupy me. I don't want to live my life in this way. I want you to change me. I want you to transform me. And as you do that, God is always willing, looking for people that he wants to transform their life, he wants to change their life, so that they can live the life that is pleasing unto him. Why don't you bow your heads at this time? I'd like you to just take a moment to speak to God. Are there things that need to be changed in your life? You know it yourself. Peter said, repent therefore. Do you need to repent of anything today? Why don't you just ask God to help you? We cannot help ourselves. Obviously, we cannot help ourselves. But we have Jesus who is looking for people to help. People who we invite him and say, come and help me in this area. And you'll be surprised that if you'll be willing to speak to God about that situation, God himself will be pleased and more than pleased to help you this morning.
Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen.